corporations, employers want to know how is this particular group going to affect and support the business. So whoever is setting up an ERG, BRG, you really have to hone in as to why are you doing what you're doing. We knew that the only way to make this work is through leadership buy-in. Uh, and those leaders could come from any wide variety of areas. So as long as we got them to buy in, we had that leadership from within to help drive the strategy. That's Aaron Harper, Manager of Military and Veterans Affairs at the Office of Diversity and Inclusion at Atrium Health. Aaron is talking about what it takes to get business leaders to buy into your strategy and support your group. Aaron is my guest for this first part of this episode of ERG Power Talk on finding and leveraging key stakeholders. This is ERG Power Talk, and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders, as well as others that are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and find stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors, Atrium Health, Fadert Health and Medical College of Wisconsin, and Mass Mutual. Now, let's go straight to the program. Hi there, Adam. Thanks for joining me today. So, your title is Manager, Military and Veterans Affairs, Office of Diversity and Inclusion at Atrium Health. Tell me how you got this role and a little bit about what the role is about. Okay. Uh, well, I started in, uh, in the United States Marine Corps back in 1988, and I'm a fifth generation Marine. So uh, the Marine Corps and military service is definitely in my blood. Um, my wife is currently serving in the North Carolina Army National Guard as a colonel and a helicopter pilot. So there's more military affiliation there. Um, so I served from 1988 to 1993 and was medically retired after Desert Storm. Uh, and that was not my plan. My plan was to stay in the Marine Corps forever um, until they had to kick me out. So unfortunately, medical retirement kind of kicked me out a little bit earlier than I planned. Uh, so, you know, I had to come up with a plan B and uh, have just always stayed engaged with military programs, uh, military style youth programs, etc. And uh, have always been engaged in those communities, predominantly in the, the Raleigh North Carolina area and then to the Charlotte area and then across the state. Um, so having that, having that connection um, got me into a few roles. Uh, I was hired into uh, North Carolina Department of Crime Control and Public Safety, which is kind of like Homeland Security for North Carolina. So they, for the state, they manage the North Carolina National Guard. So additional connections for the military side there. And then I uh, shifted roles after I met and married my wife. And for some reason, wanting to have children, we needed to be in the same city. So that was helpful. <laughs> I would say that's a requirement. For us to live in the same city. So I changed jobs to the Department of Labor and started working for their Veterans Apprenticeship Program. And the, the apprentice piece of that gave me additional insight into the corporate side of employment and how we could best help military members and veterans so they could use their GI Bill for apprenticeship opportunities and on-the-job training opportunities. So it's a, it's a neat program, but gave me some additional reach. Conveniently, there were a couple of programs that uh, had some connection 
with uh, Carolina's healthcare system. From there, I got hired at Belmont Abbey College and helped them with their grant writing and some of their military programs. Uh, started working on an MBA, got picked up to go work up at Duke Energy for a fellow Marine. And he had me do some research where we just looked across the country at different energy corporations, uh, and really any employer that was doing some good work with military folks, veterans, et cetera, but also looking at challenges too. Uh, so we wanted to know successes, challenges, et cetera, so that way Duke Energy could deploy their own military veteran strategy. While we were doing all that research, we were sharing information in the Charlotte community uh, with our counterparts at the near C-suite level, very senior senior level. So we were talking to folks with Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Ingersoll Rand, Time Warner Cable, now Spectrum Cable, State Bureau of Investigation, you name it. We were sharing the information freely so we could all be on the same sheet of music. Um, and because of the connections that we had through that program, um, I was recruited by Deborah Pollution Moore at the time, who is our Chief Human Resource Officer, later Chief of Staff, to help them create the uh, the strategy for Carolina's healthcare system now, Atrium Health, help them create that strategy, and then she asked me to come over full time to deploy the strategy. Like, what was that? Twenty minutes for me to give you a background? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no worries. Yeah. Before we go on, let me just say thank you and your family going back a couple of generations, as well as your wife and yourself for your service. Our honor. So here's my other question for you. Okay. Generally speaking, a stakeholder is any person or group that can be affected by the actions of a group, by its objectives, its policies, and so forth. And so these are people who generally have something to gain or something to lose based on what this particular group does. So with that in mind, who do you think the stakeholders are who you would consider BRG, ERG stakeholders, and of those, which would you consider to be key stakeholders? Okay. Um, thanks for the question. So when we were creating our strategy at Atrium Health, you, you really have to hone in as to why are you doing what you're doing? So whoever is setting up an ERG, BRG, we, we happen to call ours SRGs, system resource groups. Um, at Bank, at uh, Duke Energy, we called it an employee resource group. Corporations, employers want to know how is this particular group going to affect and support the business. So if we look at it from a healthcare perspective, take care of patients. That's our primary goal. How do we do that? Through our teammates, uh, through specialized healthcare programs, and then also having uh, visibility within the community, supporting community operations. So that's actually what our strategy is. And we, we have an acronym for it called PATHS, Patients, Teammates, Health, and Service. So as long as we're fully engaged in paths, then you've got to find out who are the primary folks in each one of those spaces, the key stakeholders, uh, in other words, in order to, to fully engage it. Because I'm a, a team of one as far as military and veterans affairs. There's no way that I could do this work for our system at 60 plus thousand employees and partners. I, I can't do that by myself. Um, but I do know that there are a number of folks who are champions in that space. And not just military members and veterans either. These are folks who have an affiliation to it through family members or just happen to be patriots. So part of the part of the identification process is finding out who really cares about whatever that particular business resource group or a strategy system resource group. What are the key focuses, key drivers for those 
for those areas. So for us, you know, if we're looking at patients, there's significant care about that. People care about that and, um, through population health, community health, uh, through continuing care services, through our chaplaincy program. There's lots of folks that are engaged in different pockets of patients, uh, healthcare programs, et cetera. So we knew that the only way to make this work is through leadership buy-in. And those leaders could come from any wide variety of areas. So as long as we got them to buy in, we had that leadership from within to help drive the strategy. And so they're the drivers for this. I happen to kind of be maybe in an umbrella coordinator consultant role and just helping them engage that strategy. If they're excited about the work, that's the way that it gets done. Excellent. And just to put a fine point on it, I think you've touched on them, but who would you consider to be key of all those stakeholders that you listed out? Sure. Uh, so we had, a, we had a, an emergency department doctor. We still have the emergency department doctor, Dr. David Calloway. Um, he's a former Navy doctor. Um, so there's the military tie-in there. Um, he was extremely excited about the opportunity to engage more military members and recruit them into our system because he knows the skill set and the leadership and all that kind of thing. So he was critical for not only our patient piece, but also our specialized healthcare programs. So he was the primary stakeholder, but he also knew, you know, he's, he's a doctor. He serves at a director level. He's in the executive space, but he knew that he needed his higher ups to get engaged. So some of it was just snooping around to try to figure out who else had some military members in their family or who were military members. Uh, so his direct leadership, um, both were in the military. One also had military family. So he drove that with them. Um, and then there's other leaders that have, you know, great respect for, for the military. So he found out who they were. They became the critical stakeholders. So those are the folks that are at the, the senior to executive level staff. Um, in talent acquisition or recruiting, um, we, we found one of our teammates, one of our talent acquisition managers, whose brother-in-law was currently serving in the military. So we leveraged that. She got super engaged, very excited about doing that. She knew that she couldn't do that on her own. So she worked her way up through her VP in order to get his buy-in at that time. And he definitely chomped at the bit in order to be able to support. On the service side, we reached out to um, one of the VPs that was in charge of uh, community benefit. And she had a number of military members in her family as well. So you're at the VP, SVP level. And then over all of that at the executive level is our chief human resource officer and at, at that time. Um, so she, her husband was a colonel in the Air Force. So she was already bought into it. She convinced the chief operating officer to be engaged in that space. Then the CEO got engaged because he had some friends. So it was just this behind the scenes network that forced each, or I don't wanna say forced, but cajoled each one of those areas to work. So those were the, the key folks. That's fascinating because as you're talking about this, it sounds like it wasn't just that you identified a couple of stakeholders and then, and then focus on leveraging those stakeholders, but you literally leverage some of the initial stakeholders to find other stakeholders and to keep branching out into different areas of the organization so that you almost, you've basically formed a stakeholder network to support the BRG. Correct. 
Yeah, and we knew that that was the best way to do it. Um, again, that leadership from within to actually drive some of the operations and, and execution, but that buy-in from the next one, two, three layers above them to really get it broadcast across the system to get full buy-in from the entire company. So you jumped right into my next question, which okay. is how important would you say are those stakeholders to the success of what you are now doing with this network? Uh, beyond critical, definitely critical for, for that level of support. Because again, it's, we're a pretty large system. We have up to a million patient contacts per year. We know that we're in a military state. North and South Carolina have a pretty significant number of military members, veterans, and their families. So from a business perspective, we know that this is something that we need to keep in mind. Approximately one out of every 10 people in the Carolinas is either in the military, a veteran, or related to the military. So there's a, there's a business reason for doing that. So uh, as, as we share some advice with some of the other folks that are creating or currently have ERGs, BRGs, SRGs, uh, or affinity groups, even though you want to focus on your particular area, is there an opportunity to engage the business component of whatever your job is, whatever your mission statement is? So if, if you can engage that and leverage that, you can get more buy-in because you know that there will be a quadruple bottom line that's involved in what you're doing. So we've been able to push some of those buttons with folks to make sure that others know the importance of it. But we know that this is our footprint in the Carolinas. We know that there are folks that are here that are military members currently serving. We have military installations that are here. We have retirees and dependents. So they're our potential patient population. They are our patient population. They are our teammates as well. So it's, it's critically important in all those spaces. Yeah, I can see that. And so here's my question. How have you leveraged that stakeholder network to drive value and to support your BRG in driving value to the people who are military families, patients, and so forth? How have you leveraged the stakeholders? And what I'm looking for is what example do you have? Uh, sure. We actually, lucky enough, we've got plenty of examples. And conveniently, we're a 2016 recipient of the Department of Defense Freedom Award for Employer Support of Guard and Reserve. So we're, we're doing well at that space. The government recognizes the work that our, our teammates are doing. So currently ranked number one military-friendly employer in the country in the nonprofit government sector. So again, doing some great work there. But there's some uh, specific programs. One is extremely unique uh, for our healthcare systems, specifically Carolina's Medical Center, our emergency emergency department there, the Trauma One facility. We partner directly with special operations medicine at Fort Bragg. So typically, when these special operations medical folks are at Fort Bragg, they do training missions in, in advance of going to combat or going around the world, deployments, etc. The issue that they have there is they don't get to do live work as far as medicine is concerned. The same doctor that I mentioned before, Dr. David Calloway, is connected to that special operations community. So through his relationship with USASOC, U.S. Army Special Operations Command, specifically on the medical side, he talked about the opportunity that some of those folks could have by coming to our Trauma One facility. With a number of conversations that he had at his level, he started to share the information back with me and other key stakeholders in the system about the potential to bring the 528 sustainment brigade members 
to our hospital. So these are doctors, nurses, EMTs, paramedics, lab techs, radiology techs, bringing them to our system so they could get actual hands-on experience at a trauma one facility. So it's, it's constant at our emergency department in Charlotte. So what that does by bringing that team to us, they get hands-on experience, but we also develop a symbiotic educational relationship with those teams that come to us, usually six to eight people. We get them for free. So they come to us as pseudo employees. They're still governed, obviously, by the United States Army and Special Operations Command. They have their own liability coverage and uh, medical malpractice that's covered by the Army. But they come to us and they support our patients. And then they also are able to share what do they do when they're out in the field. So they're more prone to dealing with blunt force trauma, orthopedic-related issues, obviously bullets and cuts. So they take that information, they share that training and leadership with our staff that are at the trauma one facility. And in return, our staff, our doctors, nurses, et cetera, share what they know about caring for a civilian population. So it, it's a really great symbiotic relationship that we have with them. Then those army teams then deploy overseas. So now they're not only ready to help support the military members that they're that they're working with, the Green Berets and Special Forces folks, they're also ready to help the civilian population too because they've gained that experience. So in order to be able to do this program, obviously, uh, Dr. Callaway had to reach out to his doctor leadership and he had to get HR involved. He had to get compliance involved, legal involved. So everybody had to agree that this was going to be a good program for us. And that's what he did is he leveraged his medical side professionals. He leveraged the HR folks. He uh, leveraged the facility leaders as well. So a great program unique to the entire country. It doesn't happen anywhere else in the country yet. And the bigger army, so you have U.S. Army Special Operations Command, then you have big army medical that are tracking the data and information that comes out of this program. So that way they can replicate the program across the country with other medical staff that are not special operations. So that's just one example. That's a great example. So let me ask you this. Use your imagination now and think about that example plus the other examples that you could probably share with me if we had more time. And tell me, what would be the impact to you if you had the BRG that you currently have? So all of that was in place minus those stakeholders that you've built up as a network. What would the impact of not having those stakeholders there be on your ability to be able to have the story that you just told and other stories like it as as points of success impossible seriously it would have been impossible to do it because without the the legal executive buy-in on the program the medical side the educational side hr those key stakeholders are critical to that, crucial, seriously could not do the program because there is uh, memorandums of understanding, legal agreements that we had to have internally uh, in order to be able to engage this program. So it's not just an internal program where we're using our BRG, SRG as we call it, our teammates to volunteer to support a program. In order for us to be able to bring these U.S. Army Special Operations Medical Teams into the facility, there had to be significant buy-in at the senior levels. So without it, there's no program. The Army would have had to go into another hospital system. So what would be your advice in terms of getting more people on board as members and as stakeholders? My boss, Peggy Harris, she loves this term, force multipliers. So if you're able to learn what the passion is for those people that are in your BRG, why they're doing what they're doing, you're able to leverage the passion and then leverage the word of mouth piece. That's how you get the buy-in. You know, so it's not me going out across the system, going to different hospitals saying, hey, 
join our PRG. Now, it's folks that are in the hospital already that are military, that are passionate about military or veterans or whatever the group is that they're supporting. That will drive that strategy. Great advice. Thank you for that, Aaron. I really appreciate it. So, Aaron, I think this brings us to the end of our uh, discussion here. I want to thank you again for joining me today. Happy to be here and thank you for the opportunity. So, let's stop here and take stock of what we've learned from Aaron before we bring in our guest panelists. So far, we've learned that stakeholders are essential to group success and that to build our pool of potential stakeholders, We need to, one, get on the radar of any potential business stakeholders by having and communicating a clear picture of how the goals of our group connect with the stated objectives of the business. Two, we talked a bit about how we can further expand that pool of stakeholders through networking. Networking from people in our inner circle out to others we don't know yet who are potential stakeholders. And three, we also learned that any new potential stakeholders that we find, we need to find out why they might care about our group's cause. And then we need to leverage that knowledge to attract them into supporting our group. These tactics will help you build a large pool of potential stakeholders. But what will you do once you have this pool in sight? Coming up, our panel on this topic is going to dig deeper into what you need to do once you have this pool of potential stakeholders to identify and secure the best ones for your group. All this and more when we return, but first this. ERG Power Talk is made possible through the support and sponsorship of Atrium Health, Friedert Health and Medical College of Wisconsin and Mass Mutual. These are companies that are leading the advancement of ERG practices way beyond the confines of their organizations. Thank you. Now back to our podcast. Welcome back. Let's meet our panelists. From Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio, we have Diana Gates, Director, Diversity and Inclusion. From Atrium Health in Charlotte, North Carolina, we have John Lorenzana, an Executive Director. And from RWJ Barnabas Health in New Jersey, we have Vanessa Nazario, Director of Diversity and Inclusion. Thank you for joining me today. First question is for you, Diana. How do you identify key stakeholders? And again, key stakeholders are people who clearly benefit from the work that a BRG or an ERG is doing. How do you find these people? I think that there are a variety of opportunities that avail themselves when you're looking for key stakeholders. There's a quote from Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor that states that virtue and obscurity is rewarded only in heaven and that to succeed in this world, you have to be known to people or to others. And so a lot of this work has to go through networking, being present, making sure that you're connecting with leadership, your executive sponsors, getting recommendations from the HR business partners, organizational events, and also leveraging the membership of your employee resource groups or business resource groups as well and identifying potential stakeholders to get involved in the program. And then some intentional efforts that we've done here at the Cleveland Clinic where there is a new caregiver letter. New, it's an outreach letter that goes to every caregiver that enters our system and they get that within their first 90 days, introducing them to the office, some of the variety of programming that's available. They get the letter and their hiring manager gets that letter. So there is some um, shared language between both of them in terms of what these groups mean 
and the opportunity that they avail to the organization as a way to kind of draw people in. And then we have a new caregiver orientation book, and that information is also available in that orientation book, just to make sure that we're catching people in a variety of platforms. Good. So one of the things that I heard you say is that one good first step is to make yourself visible. Yeah. Because if you make yourself visible, then stakeholders will find you. And then the other one is through this other instrument of, of this letter where you're actually broadcasting what you do. And again, I guess that's another way of making yourself visible. So Vanessa, let me bring you into this now. What are some of your thoughts around this? Similar, different, what are some of the things that you guys do? To Diana's point, right, it's about being visible. But I think for what we've done in terms of our BRGs, we really look at it project to project or program to program in terms of who, let's identify who should be the ideal stakeholders to be part of this process, right? So if it's a recruiting sort of project, then absolutely human resources needs to be part of this conversation, right, and, and part of the dialogue to help us plan this thing out. So as BRGs, we kind of drive it, we sort of envision it. But we, then we say, okay, now that we sort of know what we want to do, who are the ideal stakeholders who should be around this space, right? And that can be your partners. It could be the end user. So if it's a customer or patient sort of thing, then do we have them around the table because we need their feedback, for example, if we're designing something. So really is it starts with the project or program and saying, you know, who ideally do we need to make sure and ensure that this thing is successful? So really starting with the genesis of this whole thing and kind of mapping it out and then starting pulling people together and, and you start doing the outreach, right? Sort of selling it, if you will. And we have other questions in terms of what does that actually mean uh, back to that stakeholder. But that's, that's the approach we've taken here. Yeah, that's interesting. So you guys essentially start with a picture of what it is that you would like the group to accomplish. And I guess you you negotiate that with the group itself. And then after that, you determine of the potential stakeholders that are out there, which ones are the most relevant based on what the group is trying to achieve. John, what about you? So I think that obviously uh, all those approaches are, are great approaches. I, I think you some of the key aspects are obviously finding people that have an affinity for whatever group you're talking about. So for me, for instance, uh, as a leader for what we call one team, one mission, which is a veterans resource group uh, within our community, obviously you're looking at veterans, but not just veterans, but supporters of veterans. Um, if you look at young professionals, you're looking not just for people that are young, but also people that have an affinity support growth within their careers. It just depends on the community that you are looking for. Uh, so some of those will self-identify and some of those will just be naturally drawn uh, to those groups, whether they're supporters or they, in fact, fit that type of, of mold, if you will, for lack of a better word. Uh, I think there's other uh, corporate entities that can reach out to that and partner with your uh, group as well, whether internally or externally. Uh, and the, the leveraging of technology is important. Here inside Atrium Health, we use uh, multiple platforms for that. We utilize Yammer uh, in a lot of ways to bring a, an internal uh, social networking to these groups so that they can communicate uh, openly, and it's a great platform to be able to connect and find groups uh, that you may not even know are out there. Uh, so for me, if I go on there and I look to find a group, there may be one for people that love dogs or whatever the case is, but that's one way to network that may not be an official resource group. But it's a way to broaden your network within your internal organization and obviously connecting with other leaders, both on the front end and in the field, helps to, to build that resource group. It's, it's not uh, good enough to have a senior leader that's highly visible and everybody knows. You also have to have people that are on the ground that are uh, frontline people, that are middle managers, that are uh, upper middle managers, so that you have a, a good depth and breadth within each of those resource groups. 
because at the end of the day, this is about connecting people to other people so that they can help each other, whether perverse professionally or personally, or just to, hey, uh, who do I get in touch with about this? Because you're in a large organization. There are people that are, are basically warm touches or touch points uh, to help you along your career path or just your daily routine. So I think it's, it's a little bit all the above. Those are all great ideas. And obviously, any way that brings us closer together, because obviously, as we have all these different networking platforms and technology to bring us all closer together, in a lot of ways, it brings us further apart because we we lose that personal touch. So making sure that we leverage that to where we're in front of each other and still able to connect while we're not. Absolutely. You know, you touched on a topic that we're going to be covering in more depth later on in another episode of the podcast, which is this whole idea of looking for people that are tangentially connected to the group. So they may not be, in your case, a veteran, but they could be someone who has a relative who's a veteran or some, somehow is predisposed to be supportive. This whole idea of allies and so forth. We're really going to explore that in another episode. But all of these are really like a good start, a collection of ideas that can be used to, uh, to identify different types of stakeholders. So once you identify a stakeholder, that's step one, you found them. The next question is, how do you engage them? And John, I'm going to stay with you on that. Tell me a little bit about that. So you found the stakeholder, how do you engage them? Well, again, I think it goes back to a multidimensional uh, platform uh, of using technology, obviously having events, having things that interest them. So for instance, right now, uh, and, and I'll continue to go back to the resource group that I belong to just because I have the the, the most knowledge on that. We have a, a veterans coffee house, which connects veterans with other veterans at each of our acute care locations, but it's about career advancement. So what happens is a senior leader from each of these locations is on site to answer questions and to give some helpful advice as well on career advancement. The, the resource group also provides some, some great help and resources internally and externally. And obviously you have the camaraderie of the networking. Um, for veterans, it's a, it's a little harder to, to get them in some cases because we're not exactly joiners. You know, we joined once and that was, <laughs> you know, so they, that's where you learn your lesson there. So, but but it, there, are, there are groups and, and people that are more inclined to, to go to networking events, and there's others that are more inclined to utilize technology. So really helping them to self-identify what ways are the best ways to engage you, what are you interested in, Use your list serves or your sign up geniuses or whatever uh, process you use for signing folks up. Obviously, having a variety of events which allow them to network in person or via technology. And then always encouraging people to uh, network one on one. Uh, that was some of the best advice I've received from uh, senior leaders in my organization, either here or throughout my career, is uh, get outside of your bubble and, and cold call some of the senior leaders that you're interested in to say, hey, you know, I'm really interested in your input or what you do, or I'm interested in moving up throughout the organization. I'd really love your input. If you have 30 minutes of time, I'll buy you coffee. So those are areas to also expound on. I go back to leveraging partnerships within the community. So we leverage partnerships with Habitat for Humanity. We have different corporate partnerships. So with the Charlotte Hornets, for example, where we have Hoops for Heroes. So obviously Michael Jordan, uh, his his brother is an executive vice president there, and he puts that together, uh, and we, that we're able to leverage both of our corporate corporate partnerships to bring uh, veterans to be able to play basketball game there. And you can do the same thing again with leveraging different resources for different resource groups, depending on what their interests are and where they're inclined to really move 
throughout their organization. Uh, so sort of saying you have to know how to read your people, you need to find what their interests are and your events and, and your, your engagement opportunities towards what attracts them. Again, their affinities. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Vanessa, what about your, what are your thoughts on this? Same topic, same question. Yep. And, uh, and I appreciate, you know, John sharing some of the cool stuff he's doing over there. I'm taking notes just so we can possibly borrow some of these ideas. Hashtag borrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're all about. <laughs> borrow and leverage. But uh, in terms of engaging, you know, it goes back to that initial step of identifying the potential stakeholders to any project, right? And then once you've identified them, it's sort of and you're getting ready to have this conversation with them as BRG leaders is to sort of answer the question, how will this project or program help that particular stakeholder? What is the actual impact? Does it help harm, right? In what sort of ways does it? And to be able to then approach them with, hey, you know, we're thinking about doing this. We would love for you to be part of this program or project, right? Or, or even an event, whatever it is, but to be able to clearly state to them, and this is the value proposition in terms of how this can sort of help you in your particular space. So again, to highlight an example, and I have several, uh, we've actually done recruiting events out in a community to really connect um, our job opportunities to people right in the trenches, right? People who, who, who live right outside of the hospital walls. Uh, but we could not have done that without HR, right? HR, you know, they have a recruiting function. We have hiring managers. So, you know, our Hispanic BRG kind of said, let's bring all these people together. Let's sort of share with them what the vision is, right? Creating pathways of opportunities to work for um, us as a huge stakeholder in the community, PS. And, and, but we need their input. Like this can't happen, right? It's not Salud BRG people uh, recruiting or interviewing people. It's the hiring folks. So this is their lane. This is their expertise. But it started with, this is the value proposition, right? You're going to walk away with possibly, you know, 50 candidates that otherwise you would not have had access to. Right. And those positions that have been sort of vacant for months, boom, now you have a talent pipeline. Like who would not want to jump at that? All of a sudden you've made their life so much easier. Right. That's less time being spent on, you know, LinkedIn, trying to recruit from all these. Like we're bringing the people to them. Right. So that's a value proposition. And for them, it's like, absolutely. Sign me up. When is the next one? Yeah, absolutely. Right? That's great. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Thank you for that, Vanessa. So, Diana, let me add a little twist to your question. Same question, but in terms of also, what are some of the things that you do, but also what are some of the results that you've gotten out of doing some of these things? I think that John and Vanessa started baking in some results into some of the things that they did. And I was going to ask that as the next question, but I figure since we're doing it as a double question, I might as well pose it to you from, uh, from that aspect. One of the things that we um, do a lot with our employee resource groups and the diversity councils is they have business plans that are tied to kind of the strategic goals of the organization. And so people always want to be part of something that's bigger than themselves, brings meaning aside from the meaning that they get in their respective role for which they actually came to the to clinic for. Um, so identifying those opportunities that provide meaning for those individuals is key to that, right? Aligning that, making sure that this work uh, speaks to that, to their purpose, to uh, the vernacular that they're used to, to, to speaking in. And, you know, the result of that is that you're able to expand the scope 
of your programming, the visibility of your program. Certainly, if you've got certainly really identified with a strategic mind and identify who those key stakeholders are or those areas where you don't seem to have a presence in and really trying to find someone to be an ambassador or an advocate for that work. A lot of this is making sure that you operate for us in the three T's. So when we're looking at something is it tangible? So it's, is it something relatively that we can achieve? Is it tactical? So what's the strategy around it? And then is it trackable? And then making sure that you're able to kind of provide that information to leadership in, in those stakeholders. So they're able to take that information back. They can incorporate that in their annual performance review in terms of what they've done. The most powerful results of that work is certainly is when you have a stakeholder, especially if someone's kind of in a middle management or upper level, that they're able to really integrate the work into their area, that they move from a place of being an, you know, a mentor or an advisor or a person on the council to really changing their ecosystem because of this work in, in very meaningful ways. And we've had that. We've had individuals who, um, very similar to Vanessa, particularly in, with some of our employee resource groups, so our Salud Hispanic Employee Resource Group, engage a particular stakeholder and he had one bilingual physician on staff uh, really wanted to connect with the community and in a period of five years uh, created this entire clinical service line that is comprised of only bilingual staff to meet the needs of that particular community so he really embedded that work and decided that he was going to make that a service line for his department that's great stuff. So okay, let me just jump back to you for a minute, Vanessa, yep. and ask you, you know, when you talk about this intentional approach that you talked about before, could you tell us a little more about how you first nailed down what is that intention and walk us through it? And then when you get to the point where you say, okay, now I know what kind of stakeholders that we need, because I think, I think that's worth exploring. Oh yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. And believe me, I've taken notes, three T's. I love this. I love this stuff. Um, so you know, it, and to Diana's point, we too, so we have seven groups here in New Brunswick that I effectively oversee, and each of them have their own mission statements, right? So they know what the mission is, what their sort of calling, if you will, is, and why they exist. And as a part of their annual planning, they have to come up with, you know, so how do you bring that mission to life and really create meaningful work within the space that you're working in and the communities you're supposed to be touching and affecting? So again, it goes back to that initial plan. And then once we're looking at the, their annual plans and I sit down with all of the groups to make sure that they're aligned. And the one thing that I'm looking for is that they're all these action plans really sort of map back to the organizational pillars that we have as a hospital, as a system, right? Talking about patient community marketplace, and of course, employees. So anything that they sort of dream, if you will, in terms of events, program or project, we have to tie it all back to the business and that has to be baked in as part of their plan. So, you know, we're not going to do anything that really doesn't align around that because then it's sort of be out of scope, which is a term that we tend to use in clinical settings. That's out of scope. Why are you doing that? Uh, so everything has to be within scope. So if you're a salute, right. And your sort of mission that you've adopted and, and subscribe to is to impact the Hispanic community and whatever, which way, you know, if you're talking about, health disparities, if you're talking about professional development for your, for your Hispanic staff, then your action plans should, should have components of that, right? And your events should have a component of that and mapping it back so that way you can show at the end of the year, you know, were you able to create meaningful 
impact. You accomplish what you set out to do, but they need that roadmap, that guidance to kind of get them started, right? So they're not going to do anything crazy outside of their scope. And it's like, why are you, Salud, doing something that has nothing to do with healthcare and hospital and benefiting us? right? So it's that guidance. So it goes back to that mission statement, the plan, and that's where we sort of uh, start mapping out what, what potentially we want to focus on year after year. And it helps. It really helps because then again, it goes back to, okay, you want to do, you want to tackle health disparities in the Latino community? What are some stakeholders we need to speak to, to sort of get out in the trenches to make this happen, right? Because it's not just going to be us. We need other people to support this Endeavor initiative. And that kicks off the planning. Got it. Well, that sounds very organized. I like that. John, what do you do on your end? I, I, I would imagine you guys probably do something very similar. Yes. Uh, it, we obviously employ some of the same tactics. And obviously, anytime that you're getting uh, into a system resource group, uh, you, you want to look at strategy and how does this benefit, again, your system? How does it benefit your community? At the end of the day, these resource groups are really about diversity and inclusion, diversity of thought, diversity of experience and background, and, and a worldliness that you want to get these different perspectives tied back into your organization and then fuse that into your strategy because these different schools of thought, these different backgrounds really help us to position ourselves for a competitive landscape and for a future in which we're, we're having uh, greater technology, greater involvement in healthcare, and obviously in our space. So everything that was that Vanessa was saying, and also looking back and tying this into your overall strategy, whether it's how an individual SRG uh, can help a specific strategy, or how multiple SRGs can have input into a strategy, especially in a new space that perhaps your system has not worked towards. Obviously, when you're talking about individual strategies, some of that is, again, I go back to internal and external stakeholders where you may have uh, communities out there uh, of, of these same groups where you can tie your internal resource group into an external resource group, and that not only helps your community, but it also helps your organization. So again, tying back strategically from a global perspective of how this helps internally and externally and how you can have a greater uh, flourishing community of diversity of thought and experience. Uh, it, it only benefits your, your system or your organization or what, whatever the, the terminology is for, for your particular business. Great points. You know, I think one of the big takeaways from this that I don't want it to sort of slip by is that there's no real difficulty in finding stakeholders. If you have a group in an organization, it's going to have an impact on different departments, different groups, different people, communities, and so forth. There is, however, a big benefit to be secured by identifying first what the mission of the group is and then zeroing in on that group of stakeholders that's going to help you achieve that mission. So uh, that's something I think that it's implied in everything that all of you are saying, but I want to make it really explicit because I think that's a key thing. I don't think the challenge, and I would imagine all of you would agree, the challenge is not finding stakeholders. The challenge is finding the right stakeholders for the particular mission that you have. Would you say that's pretty much on the mark, Diana? Yes, I would agree. Making sure that there's some, some sort of alignment um, and being able to sustain that relationship over a period of time so you're able to actually move things, knowing that you're not going to get much done in less than 12 months. You might get some done, but really have a sustained relationship with that individual for a period of time. Yeah, no, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So let me ask you this then. What would you say is the number one thing that you recommend that a 
BRG or ERG do if they are looking for stakeholders? So now this is coming from the, from the group. It's coming from them, and they may be in an organization that's structured slightly differently than yours, and so certain processes may or may not be in place. So let's use me as an example. Joe, the new BRG, ERG leader, and I know that I'm going to need to pull together some stakeholders because, as you guys put it, I'm not going to be able to do it all myself. So give me some recommendations of what I do. Diane, I'm going to start with you first since I've already got you here. Um, I think this goes back to um, something that Vanessa shared and John is to make sure that your purpose statement, um, that there, you have a communication strategy that really delineates your purpose state mission and defines and articulates the work and some of your accomplishments, right? Because people want to know what have you done so far and how that work has translated into value to the organization. And, and that, you know, there's a variety of tools and platforms you can use to demonstrate that. But I think that at least that's the feedback that I've certainly received from, from individuals is they want to make sure that invested time is going to have an ROI, not for themselves and for the rest of the organization. Good. And before I let you go on that, Diana, you mentioned some tools. Are there any that come to mind that you can share with us? Um, you know, I, I like a lot of the continuous improvement tools. Um, so there's like, a, a you can use OKRs, you can use organizational goals and metrics sort of chart, Gantt charts, anything that really kind of demonstrates or even a timeline, you know, sometimes that has been very, very meaningful for individuals. We did a timeline of the work that our clinic pride or LGBT um, ERG in terms of some of the things that they've been able to do since their establishment over a period of, of time. And it's striking in terms of the work and it also provides some aha moments that you know we are moving the needle on a lot of things um, in, a, in a really quick snapshot. It doesn't have to be a, um, it doesn't have it to be a, a three page executive summary dissertation. It could actually just be a, a real cool infographic. Great. Thank you for that. Vanessa, same question. Your advice for Joe, who's starting his new ERG, BRG, yep. knows he's going to need stakeholders. What would you tell me to do? I would say, Joe, make sure you do your homework first and foremost before you pick up a phone or email anyone, whether internal or external. Know, you know who you're reaching out to and have conversations possibly with your executive sponsor just to make sure you understand what that outreach could conceivably look like. And because you don't know, if you don't know, right, that there might be existing relationships or rapport or, you know, if it's a community-based organization, are we funding them? Like, do your homework before you start doing all this outreach and then find out, like, you don't want to pick up the phone or call someone and be like, oh, I'm from such and such organization. I would love to connect with you. And they're like, oh, well, your CEO is on my board of directors, right? As an example, and you're like, oh, snap, maybe I should have known that, right? So do your homework. You know, uh, if you have a foundation, who are you funding in the community? Do we have already an alliance with certain people here that I can literally just kind of write that coattail, right, to sort of then reach out and possibly work with them? Um, or if it's a senior leader, right, talk to your executive sponsor if you have one. Hey, I would love to have so-and-so be part of this dialogue conversation because I think he or she would benefit in their service line from what my group is trying to do. Make sure you check in before, again, you kind of say, well, let me just, you know, casually go knock on this person's door, right? Because you don't know what, what politics are out there, right? And, and one thing that I always sort of subscribe to is understanding your lane 
<laughs> right? And if you're going to be shifting into someone else's lane, make sure you do your homework and understand what the impact and conceivable would be from, from you doing that outreach. Excellent advice. That's great. And John, what about you? What, what would be your advice to me? Well, I think uh, the first thing is to, to leverage your allies. Uh, if you're starting a, a new resource group, uh, whether it's your, your scope is going to be large or small, I think leveraging allies that you already have key existing relationships with because you're only one person to start that. Uh, so you, those allies will help you identify other people who can, again, identify more people. Uh, it's not enough to have one visible senior leader. You have to have, I think, I think I said this in your first question, you have to have people that are out in the field uh, that can carry your, that message out and connect with other people. Um, obviously having a, a strategy and a purpose to that group that people have an affinity for, whether it's the overall uh, group of, you know, we're veterans or it's uh, a group that's focused on career advancement inside of an organization or again, whatever the goal and the purpose is. So finding people that have an affinity for that, both leaders and people that can help to spread that word and, and connect you back to the purpose of that group. Uh, but in the end, it has to meet a strategic need of your organization, um, whether it's to connect people or if it's obviously to move the needle in a, uh, in a specific community area or uh, other sector of your business purpose. Uh, but I think the first thing when you're trying to start a, a resource group is obviously leverage existing allies and other uh, resource groups that can also connect uh, as allies because uh, you may have a young professionals group like we do and they may tie in to, to be able to, to help or at least coexist in some of the same spaces to connect you with other, uh, other people or groups internally or externally that can help uh, carry your message and bring in more stakeholders uh, to your, your cause. Excellent advice. So let me ask you guys, all of you, any other parting words of wisdom for someone starting a group that wants to make sure they have the best stakeholders on board, people who can super benefit from being uh, involved as well as bring that same level of powerful benefit to the mission of the group? I, I mean, if I can chime in, Vanessa, I would just say, you know, that once you identify your stakeholders, one of the things that I always sort of uh, coach and mentor our BRG leaders is communication is key, right? So make sure that you keep, you know, whomever you've, you've reached out to um, up to speed in terms of what's going on with the project, the event, um, and, and, you know, just, just communicate. And sometimes the word communicating is fine because what you don't want to do is sort of sell something and, you know, propose something that's great. And then, you know, three months sort of go by and you haven't even circled back to the individual that you spoke with to say, hey, this is what's going on. We're mapping this thing out. Um, we're planning to bring you back in, you know, month four, whatever it is. I just think communication is key. And sometimes, you know, that's something that uh, I know we, we, you know, we're inundated with stuff, right? We're inundated with stuff. However, you know, once you take on a BRG leadership role, that's kind of like you managing your own service line. At least that's the way I sort of proposition it to my leaders. I'm like, hey, you have your daytime gig. Now you have another gig, right? And you have to sort of manage it accordingly. So you running this thing, how, you know, you have to make sure you follow same protocols and policies, communicate, make sure people are aligned. They know what's going on. Don't, don't let them find out from, you know, the, the male person that, oh, I hear you guys having an event and you're involved. Oh, wow. I didn't know that thing was moving forward. Right. Like that's, yeah, that's not the way to start you know, business relationship. So anyway, that would be my advice. Communicate, keep people aligned and aware of what's going on. That's great. Diana and then John. 
you know, not to repeat anything Vanessa says, you know, I think one of the things that once you have people engage and you want to continue to have that relationship and have sustainability in terms of the work that you're doing is to make sure that that ERG leader is really providing, you know, giving the gift of gratitude for the individuals that are on that, on that group. And so knowing to um, send off, you know, letters of thanks and including um, the managers for those individuals. So if you've got, you know, 10 people on your uh, employee resource group and then and you have people who are kind of committing and doing a lot of the work and that you recognize them for that sort of uh, commitment and uh, for their efforts and make sure that their managers know that as well, because that will go a long way as well. Yes, it will. John? Well, I think we've touched on communication a lot, and obviously that's a a key aspect to gaining stakeholders. I think uh, part of that, too, is to ensure that your your groups are adaptable in in where they can be. They're not chained to a specific location uh, so that if if you have, for example, a a system like ours where we're spread geographically over a, a large area, that your resource group can hold its events in multiple areas and not just at the center of everything. That's how you attract more people to those those events and maybe even people that would like to be uh, champions for those those engagement uh, events that you have or those resource groups in total. Uh, so to be able to move fluidly throughout your organization in different locations and invite people that are specific to those geographic locations, that's helpful in gaining, uh, one, new allies, but it's also helpful in engaging new, new teammates or employees in each of those areas that might otherwise be uh, a little averse to driving, you know, 30 minutes into the, the main part of the city if you live in a, a big geographical area with a metropolitan uh, center to it. Uh, so that's a way to connect. And I think the value of uh, connecting one-on-one or in person, uh, it still is is king, at least in, in a lot of ways. Uh, while we may have a lot of technology, I think it's really important that we we still look at the value of having events where people are able to network, shake hands, meet each other, share a cup of coffee or, or whatever that people drink um, and to tell their story internally where they don't feel confined to an office or a, a desk or a phone or they're, they're checking their emails. They're, they're personally engaged in these meetings. I think it's really important that you, you try to have those as part of your resource groups to where whether it's after hours or during hours, people can connect one-on-one because again, in a, in a very connected world, we're still disconnected in a lot of ways. So those are, uh, those are important things to, to keep in mind when you're either starting a resource group or you're just helping one to flourish uh, throughout your, your organization. Excellent point. Thank you for that. And on that note, we will close. I want to thank all of you for joining me today. I think uh, it's been a pretty robust discussion, and I think that our listeners are going to get a lot of value out of it. So thanks again. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This was great. Fun. So let me sum up what I got out of our panel today. When it comes to securing the best stakeholders, here are five things that I got out of this. One, know your group mission. Two, use that information to identify and pursue your ideal stakeholder. Three, communicate, communicate, communicate. You can never have too much communication. Four, 
If you're looking for stakeholders across a large company that has a lot of different sites and locations and you want stakeholders from these different locations, technology is great for communicating, but face-to-face communication still rules, so you got to get out there. And finally, five, before you pick up the phone to talk to a prospective stakeholder, do your homework. Know a little bit about them. Maybe even know a lot about them. Thank you for tuning in to ERG Power Talk. If you enjoyed and got value out of this program, please like us and leave a favorable review at your podcast provider's site. Also, invite others to listen to the show. I'm Joe Santana, and thanks again for tuning in. We'll